Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. Well, whoever wants to uh, find his life has to lose it. Whoever wants to find his life has to lose it. And in this morning, Paul tells us, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And almost every line that we just read is sheer foolishness, unless Jesus rose from the dead. Almost every line that we just read is sheer foolishness, unless in Jesus God has made a new kind of humanity possible. Last week in our epistle reading in Romans, Paul said we have two choices. We can either be conformed to the patterns of the systems of the worldly power that run roughshod over us, or we can be transformed by God. This God who wrecks all of our best ideas and then recreates us in ways that we never dreamed possible before. And the distinction is not merely on who the authority is that we're going to follow, whether it's these powers and systems of the world or it's God. It's also on the way these two competing realities work. Worldly powers seek to conform us. They seek to press us in from the outside into a certain kind of shape. But God doesn't conform us. God transforms us. God reaches into our inner being and makes us new. As I've been reading it this week, I've been thinking, maybe it's time we need to reclaim that language of born again. We don't need to just be tidied up. We need to be remade, recreated, 
born anew. And as we read the scriptures and as we hear the scriptures' wisdom, as we return again and again to the person of Jesus Christ, we find that the truly transformed life is one that has been shaped to its very core by the cross of Jesus. This is why we would say that the Christian life or the transformed life is a cruciform life. It's a life that is completely shaped by the action of Jesus on the cross. It's a life that's been remade by the preposterous life and teaching of Jesus who surrendered his life and surrendered his power for love. And this is why Paul would tell those of us who would seek to live a cruciform life that our love must be sincere. That means genuine, straightforward, not hypocritical. In other words, it's love that is actually love. It's a love that belligerently refuses to bend in any other shape, no matter what the cost is. A cruciform love, we hear, hear from Paul and we heard from Jesus in the, in the gospel reading, a cruciform love does not shrink, even from death. Love abhors what is evil and clings to whatever is good. It clings to whatever is good because we know that our life depends on it. We have to have both of these sides of love. Love abhors evil. Love names evil. Love rebukes evil. But it does so in a way that refuses to surrender to the normal human temptation, which is to enact evil in response to evil. Love, even in its abhorrence of evil, clings to what is good. When we, uh, our boys were younger and we would go to the beach and get into the ocean, I used to love going in with the boys when they were like three and four and the ocean was just overwhelming to them. And I would carry them out into the water and when the waves got rough, I would hold them and they would, the, the water would just pour over us and that feeling as a dad, as my sons would just like in fear, like cling to me. It wasn't at that moment because they loved me all that much. <laughs> it was because of fear. <laughs> they were afraid that the ocean would overwhelm them. Church, we must cling to what is good because if not, the powers of this world will overwhelm us. I'm drawn to this, this dominant thread in these verses, and there's lots of other bits of wisdom that are almost like little bits of Proverbs strung one after the other, but there's this three theme all through it about how we're to deal with those who seek to do us harm or evil. And I'm drawn to it for two reasons. One is because they're impossibly hard. In human wisdom, they are absolutely ridiculous. There's something about these moments 
where scripture goes absolutely against every natural instinct that I think we need to pay all the more attention to. What Jesus calls us to is not just an ethical system. Jesus is calling to a way of life that has been reshaped and reformed and remade by the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are a new kind of people. We don't attempt to fit Jesus in to our other ideals and systems. Our ideals and systems are undone by Jesus. I think these lines provide us wisdom for precisely some of the questions I've heard from many of us and that I've echoed too in recent weeks. How exactly are we to abhor evil? What is the way we are to do this? How do we stand against evil in ways that are faithful to Jesus? What do we do when we recognize in a new kind of way that we have an enemy? Jesus said, love your neighbor. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's the wisdom of the powers of this world that conforms us. But I tell you, and here comes the transforming cruciform word, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And then we could just move past it, but then Paul tells us the same, if not worse. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. So we are to abhor the evil and bless the one who's doing the evil. And he doesn't only just say, don't curse them. Maybe I could deal with that a little bit better. But he says to bless them. To bless someone is to have a heart always working for the other person's good, even the person who intends us harm. It is to always seek for the holiness of humanity to be revealed, to be renewed, to be healed, to be set free. It's exactly what Nita read to us this morning from St. Benedict. Christ comes to us in each person we encounter. It's like Karl Barth says, in the person of the other, we encounter in visible form the secret of God. If our view of the other, if our view of humanity is not just conformed to the powers of this world, but if it's been transformed by the way of Jesus Christ, we are no longer ever able to see another human as merely another human. They are beloved image bearer of God. You cannot bless someone and hate them at the same time. You cannot hate someone and bless them at the same time. So we abhor the evil. We speak against it. We resist it. We call it out. We name it. We lament when it happens. We weep with those who weep. And yet it's done in a way that boggles the mind. It's a way that transforms every interaction and makes healing possible. How can this possibly be? Do not repay evil for evil, Paul says. He's just going to keep beating the drum. Revenge and retaliation are excluded for those who would follow Jesus. And this is terribly difficult 
Because while we refuse retaliation, we also don't hide from the evil. It'd be way easier to not retaliate if we would just sort of turn off our ears and turn off our eyes and turn off our, uh, the Holy Spirit and not recognize the evil. But Paul doesn't back away from naming the truth. But the gospel says the cycle has to be broken. In Jesus, we have encountered a power that breaks the cycle of revenge and retribution. In Jesus, we've been given one who would lay down his power, lay down his life, make himself vulnerable to the ones doing evil. This preposterous love is the only posture that has the possibility of doing that one thing that God says is the goal. Transformation. Reconciliation. Truly healing a broken humanity. The powers of this world, the ones that conform, they can retaliate, they can silence sometimes, they can shame, but God can transform and reconcile and heal. Do not take revenge, Paul says, but leave room for God's wrath. There's something here we don't really have time to go into. Maybe we will on another Sunday. I know there's lots of us in this room that, and me, I'm in that boat, that a lot of times really get uneasy with judgment in Scripture. We need God's judgment over evil. But it's not our judgment to make. Whenever we take revenge, we are making the dangerous move of presuming to be God. Whenever we refuse to take revenge, we are making the reckless and fateful move that every Christian is called to make, to trust God, even with our life, to trust God, even with evil. Evil is mine to avenge, I will repay, God says. So it's not our place to exact revenge. And if that's true, then what are we to do? It gets harder, folks. Sorry. If your enemy is hungry, you feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. These are the ridiculous actions of one who has been undone by the love of God. These are the ridiculous actions of one who said yes to Jesus' invitation to lose your life. These are the ridiculous actions of one who sees the mystery of Christ in every person, even the enemy. These are the ridiculous actions of one who knows that if we are not healed, then everything is hopeless. The ridiculous actions of one who knows that we humans instinctively, instinctively do to one another things that will never heal. These are the ridiculous actions of one whose life has been ever shaped by the cross. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. 
and in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And we all say, finally, <laughs> pour the coals on the head and let it burn. He's quoting Proverbs 25, 21 and 22. Sorry, it's not what you think it is. The imagery is melting metals, silver and gold, for purification. To melt that that's hardened and needs to be melted, they would pour hot coals all around the crucible, try to heat it from the sides, and then they'd pour the coals on the head of the crucible. And what was hard would melt. This is the transforming way of Jesus that we bless those who hate us. Not because we're just blessers, because something has been transformed in us. There is a new kind of power. There is a new possibility, a new kind of life. We see things about them they can't see about themselves. We see things about the world and God's hope for the world that most of us have given up on, and we refuse to give up on it. And then in our reckless kindness that's trusting God and that may actually cost us our life, we heap these coals of God's burning, passionate, fiery love on the head in hopes that it might melt what is hard. In hope of that thing that has been brittled, made brittle by hardness and hatred and fear and shame that the love of God enacted in our presence, in our witness, in our refusal to hate, in our insistence that God's love is more powerful than every other reality in the world. It will heap the burning, passionate coals of God's love. And perhaps then in God's mercy, hardness will be melted. Stones will be melted. Hearts that are rigid, will be melted by the love of God. And here's, though, what the scripture leaves with us. It's not only about whether or not it works. This is not the scripture just being utilitarian and telling us the kind of insider way to actually make everything happen the way we think it should. There are some who will go to their deathbed intractable in their sin. I may go to my deathbed intractable in the sin I don't see. But it is the only way for those who claim to be following Jesus. This is one of those moments where we hear Jesus' words and the words of Jesus pass through his apostles and we have to make a choice. Am I going to obey or am I not? Am I going to be conformed or am I going to be transformed? And I think it is actually really fair and courageous to a certain extent to say, I hear you, Jesus, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but we need to own that we've heard Jesus and we're not going to do that. Because this is the way that is cruciform. And what he says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What's at it, what's it risk 
is not only abandoning the way of Jesus. What's at risk is not only abandoning Jesus. What's at risk is that our heart would actually be overcome by evil. We become that thing that we take on. If we repay evil with evil, we become overcome by evil. But the way of the gospel is to not be overcome by evil, but to overcome evil with good. To overcome evil with Jesus who died on a cross and rose from the dead and said, evil is done. And then we make a choice. Is evil done or am I going to perpetuate it? The day is coming when in absolute completeness, evil will be done. And our job now is to get busy enacting that truth. And that's the cruciform way. Will you pray with me? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.